then you can have a little rest. I'm sure you're tired. You're ready to stay home evenings. I do appreciate your attendance and your uh, attention. You know, there's nothing more difficult to talk to a group when they're just, they're, you can tell they're not interested. That's very difficult. But when you're sitting there and listening, and even the small children, that, that's a blessing. That is a tremendous blessing. God bless you. God bless your work here at Silver Lake. What does a man preach? The last message. I'd like to uh, preach a message for the future. So, Lord willing, you're going to have an ordination here, right? I'd like to dedicate this message especially to the uh, three men. I don't know whoever, who, to whoever is going to be ordained. I don't know who that is. But especially to you. Tonight, the rest of you too, but especially to these men. God bless you as a congregation as you uh, work through that process. It's a wonderful thing. The church is a wonderful thing. The work of the church is a wonderful thing. And uh, we believe that God is glorified in it. I'd like to bring you a message tonight from the, from the life of Moses out of the book of Exodus. The book of Exodus. But before we go there, I'd like for you to turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7, I'd like to read tw verse 20 through 34. This was Stephen before the council. And in verse 20, he said, In which time Moses was born and was exceeding fair and nourished up in his father's house three months. And when he was cast out, Pharaoh's daughter took him up. And nourished him for her own son. And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. And was mighty in words and in deeds. And when he was full 40 years old. It came into his heart to visit his brethren the children of Israel. And seeing one of them suffer wrong. He defended him and avenged him that was oppressed. And smote the Egyptian. For he supposed his brethren would have understood. How that God by his hand would deliver them. But they understood not. And the next day he showed himself unto them as they throve. And would have set them at one again. Saying, Sirs, ye are brethren. Why do ye wrong one to another? But he that did his neighbor wrong thrust him away saying, Who made thee a ruler and a judge over us? Wilt thou kill me as thou didst the Egyptian yesterday? Then fled Moses at this saying. <clears throat> 
and was a stranger in the land of Midian, where he begat two sons. And when forty years were expired, there appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai an angel of the Lord in a flame of fire in a bush. When Moses saw it, he wondered at the sight. And as he drew near to behold it, the voice of the Lord came unto him, saying, I am the God of thy fathers, the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Then Moses trembled and durst not behold. Then said the Lord to him, Put off thy shoes from thy feet, for the place where thou standest is holy ground. I have seen, I have seen the affliction of my people, which is in Egypt, and I have heard their groaning, and am come down to deliver them. And now come, I will send thee into Egypt. Moses was 40 years old, and he was ready to go. He was ready to go. I believe he felt the call to deliver his people from bondage. He was in a strategic place to do it. He was in the king's palace. He probably thought he had some, he, he could pull some strings that others couldn't. He was educated. The Bible says in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, he was a man mighty in word. He was a good speaker. And indeed, a good leader. I would like to think he was being trained to become the Pharaoh. I don't know for sure. The next leader of Egypt. Well, you know the story. He went out to see his brethren. And no, no, no doubt he felt it was time to get this thing started. So he went out and saw an Egyptian and a Hebrew fighting. Now, the Bible doesn't, know how, doesn't say how he did it. I don't know if he just gave him a good whack or he used a crowbar or what he did, but he killed the Egyptian. And he buried him in the sand. And I can imagine Moses that night, he, he kind of was smug. He said, I started delivering Israel. I don't know what he was going to do. Was he going to kill them off one by one? I don't know. <laughs> so he went out the next day again. This time there were two Hebrews fighting. And the Bible says he was going to try to put them at one again, restore their friendship, make peace, bring peace to the situation. But the one that was in the wrong pushed him away. Who made you a ruler and a judge over us? Are you going to kill me like you killed that Egyptian yesterday? Can't you just feel the blood running from his face? You mean everybody knows? And the Bible says Moses ran. Moses ran to the backside of the desert. He ran to Midian. He fled for his life. And there on the backside of the desert, he took care of his father and lost sheep for the next 40 years. Oh, I would love to know what God was doing. What things Moses experienced those 40 years. Unknown to Moses. How God was getting him ready to lead his people. Here he was on the backside of the desert. Those earlier 40 years of hard work, all the study, all the training, and now this. You know, some, we're no different. Sometimes we feel the call of God upon our lives. We may think we know what and when this call is to be initiated or started, and we're ready to go now. Time is getting away. We need to get things done. 
I'm getting older and I don't, and, and if I don't act now, I might miss the best years of doing what the Lord has called me to do. I've known people like that. Sometimes it may seem like a waste of time that for so many years we seem to be ineffective or not doing that which we were called for. I'm sure Moses wondered often what he was doing on the backside of the desert for 40 years. Being of very little influence and being very ineffective. These were his best years. This is the time he felt strong. But God was doing a work in this man's heart. You know, God is not worried about how long it takes someone or something to, to, to get someone ready for his work. He's not worried about that. He may only need your actual signature moment for a small part of your life. For Moses, it was one-third of his life, 40 years. Maybe it's just three years, like his son. Jesus was here on this earth for 33 years. Only three years he was in ministry. Why didn't he start when he was at 12 already? He knew that he should be about his father's business. Why didn't he start when he was 16? 16 to 33, he could have made a splash. A huge splash. But you know when Jesus was done with those three years, you know what he said? I have finished the work that you have called me to do. In three short years, because the time was right. Because the time was right. God is preparing you. Life is never a waste or meaningless. God is doing a work in each of our hearts to prepare us for the task that he wants to do. Trust God. He'll make the path clear in the right time and when it's the most effective. And it doesn't take God long to get done what he wants done when it's the right time. When it's the right time. We, and we, sometimes we push ahead and we get ahead of God. But God, when, when the right timing, the right timing is the most effective timing in God's kingdom. Now back to Moses. At 40 years old, he was ready to go. Now let's go to the book of Exodus. I'd like to go to Exodus chapter 3. And verse 11. And this is where Moses met the Lord at the burning bush. And in verse 11 says, And Moses said unto God, Who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh, and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? It doesn't sound like the same man, does it? Exodus 4, verse 1. And Moses answered and said, But behold, they will not believe me, nor hearken unto my voice. For they will say, The Lord hath not appeared unto thee. 
40 years ago, he thought they would understand. Look at verse 10. And Moses said unto the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither heretofore nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant, but I am slow of speech and of a slow tongue. Do you really think Moses had a speech problem? You know, in, in, in Acts, it said he was mighty, mighty in word and deed. He, was, he, had, he could speak well. But think with me a little bit. Moses was with his, he, with his Hebrew family how long? Probably just a few years. Maybe three. Maybe five. Maybe six. Maybe till he's 12. I don't know. But if he was 12 years old, he would have been in the Egyptian courts for 28 years. His exposure to Hebrew during that time it was probably limited. He was taught in all the ways of the Egyptians. And I'm sure he could still talk it, but probably was not his main language. Then he went to Midian and there learned and spoke a different language for 40 years. So now can you see why Moses wasn't very eloquent? In 40 years' time, the language could have changed significantly. And perhaps he never had a great command on the language. And now God was telling him to go back and lead a people out that he couldn't even communicate the best with. Well, the Lord sent him Aaron, his brother. He knew the language very well. And I believe that God strategically placed Moses in this situation so that he would have to fall on his face and rely on him to lead these people. And Moses did that many times. I believe Moses had to rely heavily on God and his brother to communicate effectively with Israel. God had to do a lot of work on Moses, just like he needs to do on us. But he wanted Moses to know that he could not do the work for which he was called in his own strength. He needed God. And when he relied on God, God could take the very ordinary and use him effectively. Moses was not an extraordinary, some kind of superman. He was a natural, normal man like you and I. He made excuses just like we do when God asked him to do something. And then we come to Exodus 4. I'd like to read 1 through 5. And my focus is on verse 2 for the message. And Moses answered and said, But behold, they will not believe me, nor hearken unto my voice. For they will say, The Lord hath not appeared unto thee. And the Lord said unto him, What is in thine hand? And he said, A rod. And he said, Cast it on the ground. And he cast it on the ground, and it became a serpent. And Moses fled from before it. And the Lord said unto Moses, Put forth thine hand, and take it by the tail. And, and he put forth his hand, and caught it, and it became a rod in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob hath appeared unto thee. God asked Moses what was in his hand. It was a rod. Now, a rod was not an extraordinary uh, object. It was just a normal, natural rod. It was a stick. 
It was something that shepherds used all the time in their work. In the everyday task of taking care of sheep, it was just a dead stick, a rod. God asked him to throw it down. And when Moses took it up again, by the command of God, that rod became supernatural. It was infused with the almighty power of God that put to shame the demonic forces of Egypt. It filled Egypt with such awe and the power of God that they were ready to thrust them out. Not only did they thrust them out, but some of the enemy even joined the Israelites. That rod, that insignificant dead stick, when charged by the power of God, became the greatest supernatural weapon this world has ever known. The rod turned water into blood. It brought frogs up from the river. It brought the lice and the destructive locusts. It parted the Red Sea. It brought water from the rock when there was no water. And when it was held over God's people, it brought them victory and protection. That rod, when given to God, was used by Moses, a normal man, to do supernatural things. This rod was an ordinary rod until Moses let go of it and threw it at the feet of God. It was then infused with the power of God. I believe God is asking today for that which is in your hand. Whatever you are using, whatever you're working with, whatever talents you have, whatever position you have, he wants to take it and infuse it with his Holy Spirit so that you can do the supernatural God can't really use what you have in your hand until you throw it at his feet. You let it go and cast it at the feet of Jesus. If what you have in your hand is under the control of the Almighty, it can awe the unbeliever because of his glory. And it can bring deliverance to those in bondage. It can part the waters. It can bring water. Oh, satisfying water from the rock. It can bring victory over the enemy. One of you, brethren, will be chosen to be the bishop here at Silver Lake. You may think you as a person don't have much to offer. You don't have much to give this ministry or you don't have much to give this congregation or this community and you're right you don't but God is only asking you today to give just what's in your hand the little, the normal whatever you have in your hand and let him empower the thing with his Holy Spirit and he will do the impossible with it it's his work he can do magnificent things with what's in our hand when it's in his control it doesn't matter who you are if you're tall or short rich or poor if you have a golden tongue or you don't if you're educated or uneducated that doesn't matter to God what matters to God is that he has what's in your hand then he can use you and all of us have something different in our hand God is not asking you to borrow what someone else has in their hand you know, sometimes we look around 
And we say, oh, if I just had what she has. Oh, if I just had what he has. No. God wants what you have. God can use what you have. What do you suppose would have happened if Moses would have said, but God, I need this. I can't throw this down. It's mine. I'll not give it up. Those million people would have stayed in slavery. Hundreds of people would have died in bondage. That rod would have been just like any other rod. I wonder what work of the Lord are we hindering? When and if we don't give to the Lord what is in our hand? God has put many things in our hand, and I believe he wants us to throw them at his feet. And then he can make them powerful tools in his kingdom and for his glory. And unless you do that, you'll never realize the full potential of the things that God has given into your hand. Sometimes things are hard to give up to the Lord, aren't they? We're afraid to give it. We need it. It's necessary for our well-being. But what we don't realize is that we can do more with what we have after we give it to God than before. You may say, but what I have to give up is worth way more than what some other people have to give up. I'd like to tell you something. Nothing that you have is any better than anyone else as long as it's in your hand. The worth of something is not measured by how well or how good or by how much. The worth of something is measured by how full of the Spirit of God. God can take the most worthless thing and make it the most useful tool in his kingdom. In fact, God God delights in taking the insignificant, if you please, the worthless, and turning it into something miraculously useful. Turn your Bibles to John chapter 6. I'd like to read a little story there. It's a simple story. You know this story. But we're going to read it again. John 6, 5 through 13. John chapter 6, verse 5, When Jesus then lifted up his eyes, and saw a great company come unto him, he saith unto Philip, When shall we buy bread that these may eat? And this he said to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred pennyworth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may take a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, saith unto him, There is a lad here, which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes. But what are they among so many? And Jesus said, Make the, pe- make the men sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down in number, about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples, and the disciples to them that were set down, and likewise of the fishes as much as they would. When they were filled, he said unto his disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. Therefore they gathered them together and filled twelve baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves which remained over and above, unto them that had eaten. 
a young lad, had gone to hear Jesus. And he had taken in his hand a lunch. He was carrying a lunch, five barley loaves and two small fishes. And Jesus, ever looking to satisfy the needs of people, said, what are we going to do to provide all these people with food? And I can imagine the disciples were like, what do you mean? There's no way we can get enough food for all these people. I'm sure they thought he was crazy. But one of them said, there's a lad here that has a little lunch. And even the disciples knew this was a very insignificant amount of, of food. And when Jesus asked for it, I'm sure he thought, they thought it was ridiculous. They said, what are these among so many? But they gave it into the hand of the Lord Jesus. And Jesus gave thanks. And he began to break the bread. And he broke 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 the bread. And he, and he broke the bread. And he broke the bread. And the fishes. And the fishes. And he broke it. And he broke it. And he broke it. And I can imagine the disciples walking past each other delivering. The, what is going on? And I'm sure there was some that said, hey, I'd like to have some more fish. And sure enough, there was some more. And they kept going. Unbelievable. Can you imagine what began to happen in the hearts of the disciples? The faith and the trust that the disciples started to have in Jesus. They were willing to give anything they had. To Jesus, If he can take something so small, so insignificant, and make it so big, they'll give him anything. This was only a little insignificant lunch in the little boy's hand, but when given to the master, it turned into a phenomenon. Not only were they filled, but there was more left over than when they started. That's awesome. When the thing in your hand, though it may be small and insignificant, when given to the Lord, there's no stopping. There's no limit to what God can do with the things that you give to the Lord. He can make it end up with much more than you ever started with. David, when he went to meet his brothers, they were at the battlefield against the Philistines. That whole huge army that was immobilized because of fear. There he heard giant Goliath defy the armies of Israel and their God. David could not stand to hear this. And wondered why no one was doing anything about it. You know the story. It's in 1 Samuel 17, 31 through 51. You know the story well how David volunteered to go fight. Finally, word came to the king, and he sent for him. This young man, so full of faith and trust, convinced the king to let him go fight the giant. Here was a young man that had committed what was in his hand to the Lord. He tried to take what was in someone else's hand. He tried Saul's armor. He put Saul's armor on, and he started out, and he said, oh, I can't take this. I haven't tried this. This is not what I'm used to. This is not what I... What I use. And so he took that off. 
He had to go with what was in his hand, the familiar, what he was used to using. The Lord doesn't want you to borrow from someone else. He wants to use what's in your hand, your gifts, your talents, what you're familiar with doing. He wants to take what's in your hand for his glory. Oh, David's sling and stone looked so insignificant against that giant. He was a seasoned warrior. He had a huge shield and a spear. How could David possibly win? I'm sure his brothers and those in the Israeli army thought it was ridiculous that David would go out against this man. It was like suicide. But David didn't flinch. He didn't hesitate. He was full of confidence because he had committed the thing that was in his hand to the Lord. It wasn't his fight. David himself said, for the battle is the Lord's. He knew the Lord was empowering the thing that was in his hand. And he was confident of the victory. In Acts 9, 36 through 41, Dorcas. We have the account of Dorcas was a woman who took a needle and a thread and gave it to the Lord. She committed to the Lord the thing that she could do. And God made her a tremendous blessing in her community. So much so that she was raised from the dead when she had died. And in verse 42 says, in Acts chapter 9, verse 42, And it was known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. Brethren, when we commit to the Lord the thing that is in our hand, and the Lord can use it for his glory, it brings people to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. In Judges 7, we have a man called Gideon, who God called to deliver Israel from the Midianites. You know the story. How God dwindled his army down to there was only 300 left. The Bible says in Judges 7, 12, And the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the children of the east lay along in the valley like grasshoppers for multitude, and their camels were without number as a sand by the seaside for multitude. This was no small army. It wouldn't even take an army general to figure out that a man would be out of his mind to go against an army like this with 300 men. Not only was it 300 men, but these men were to be at their station around that great army without a sword or spear in their hand. Only an empty pitcher and a light with a light in the left hand and a trumpet in their right hand unbelievably ridiculous. But Gideon was willing to take what the Lord had placed in his hand and trust him. And the Lord wrought a tremendous victory that night. I believe here again in verse 15 lies the key of Gideon's success. It was after he had gone down to the camp of Midian and he heard a man relate a dream he had that he made this statement in Judges 7, 15. And it was so when Gideon heard the telling of the dream and the interpretation thereof that he worshipped and returned into the host of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord hath delivered into your hand the host of Midian. The Lord delivered. It was the Lord's battle. He wasn't fighting this battle. The Lord was. Oh, I believe if we could keep our focus on the Lord fighting our battles, the Lord would get all the glory for what happens in our lives, through our lives, I think God could do a lot more with us. 
We talk about Mary. We could talk about Mary in the precious ointment. We could talk about Samson in the jawbone of an ass. We could talk about the widow and the two mites. God used the thing that was in their hand for his glory. And today we have it recorded for all men to see. But the greatest example in the Bible we have is of Jesus himself. Who had his own life in his hand. In Philippians 2, 6 through 8, he says, Who thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. He threw down his life, so to speak, for you and I, only to take it up again in the power of the Spirit, victorious over death, and hell and of his kingdom there shall be no end his kingdom will never be stopped it'll never be defeated and it will never end this same God would like to take the thing that is in your hand as insignificant or as small as it may be and use it in this congregation in this community and to the uttermost parts of the world and to the praise of his glory. He can take the little that you have and make it an unstoppable force in his kingdom. God bless you all. Turn the time back over to Robbie.